listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. Hosted by high-stakes headhunter, author, and professional speaker, Scott Love. Hey, everyone. This is Scott Love, and thanks for joining me on the Rainmaking Podcast. One thing that I've learned in business is that principles are malleable. The concepts of success can transfer from one business to another. As a lot of you know, I'm a watercolor artist. I've been painting with watercolors for years. I've taken lessons. YouTube's a great teacher, and I've gotten pretty good at that. Well, recently, I ventured into acrylics. I've painted probably about four paintings with acrylics, and the most recent one, I was just really amazed because the principles of art apply to other media. The same thing with business. Our guests today are Terry and Drew Edwards, a father and son team that work with recruiting firms around the world. Now, even though they work within the recruiting industry, the concepts that they have apply to other types of business development. So if you're in the business of getting business, regardless of the industry in which you work, make sure you listen to today's show and take good notes. Terry and Drew help recruiting and search firm owners make more placements for the right fee with less work and fewer headaches. They've been doing that for about 14 years, and they've coached thousands of recruitment and search firm owners all over the world. Make sure you check out their show notes. And today's topic is why most clients will not engage you and what to do about that. I hope you get some great ideas from my interview with Terry and Drew today. As always, thanks for listening. Hey everyone, this is Scott Love. Thanks for joining me on the Rainmaking Podcast. Today, I've got some legends on my show. I've got Terry Edwards and Drew Edwards. Fellas, thanks for joining me on the program today. Scott, it's a real pleasure to be here. Thank you very much yeah. for inviting us. This is yeah. absolutely. I've heard of both of you guys for years, so I'm really honored that you'd be on my show today. And just for our listeners, we're going to talk about our topic, which is why most clients will not engage you and what to do about that. But first, tell us about you guys. Tell us uh, about what you've done in your careers, where you are, and how you got into the work that you're doing. Over to you, Drew. Well, for me personally, you know, obviously grew up with my with my dad, who was a recruiter growing up. I went to university to study marketing. And then, you know, by the time I'd finished, he started working with uh, recruiters, helping them with marketing and sales. So it, it just was a natural, I guess, progression for me to join up with Terry, sort of give my, you know, we, like I'm, I'm sort of the, obviously the younger one. You, you say, obviously, you'll see if you see our pictures. <laughs> um, but just, yeah, I guess just a modern, a modern spin on, you know, traditional marketing, sales, business development efforts. And it's sort of, yeah, just, it just worked really well for the clients that we help. That's great. And then how about you, Terry? Tell us about your background. Yeah, so, so very quickly, uh, my background, uh, predominantly in sales, I was a sales trainer for a company I'm sure you've heard of called FedEx many years ago, then got into uh, executive search and worked for a big search firm in the UK called uh, St. Martin's doing executive search and then went off on my own. Uh, it's, when, it's whilst I was on my own, um, it's, it's, it's well documented, I had some major challenges in my, in, in my own business. Hmm. The biggest challenge that I had was actually getting clients. I was a, I was a great recruiter, great you know I knew how to do search, but my biggest challenge was actually getting business. And I actually met somebody, a coach, who he shared something with me. And he said, you know, it doesn't matter how good you are, at what you do, you will not be successful until you master the art of client attraction. And that was like a a lightning bolt because I, I kind of got it because it was so true. It didn't matter how good I was, the key was being able to attract clients. Drew went off to university. While Drew was at university, he used to share things with me, such as social media, which at the time he was just like, what do you do? What with Facebook and LinkedIn and, and that kind of thing? Right. And in fairness, all joking apart, he kind of opened my eyes to some of the things you can do. And, and 
Drew was, was very modest and he missed out that when he was at university, I actually, I set up the, the coaching business and Drew was doing telesales for me and literally oh, wow. ringing staffing firms and, and booking appointments. Yeah, I think you called yeah. me, Drew. <laughs> <laughs> called everyone. But what we discovered was that nobody likes making cold calls and nobody likes receiving them. But when we implemented the marketing campaign, so then the telesales were calling people that knew who we were, the response was just amazing. And, you know, I remember the best ever day, if you don't remember, Drew, it was a Friday. We got 14 appointments on one day just by calling people. But the difference was now is that they knew who we were. Right. Again, another massive breakthrough. And I sort of finally got it, you know, people will respond better if they know who you are. And I'm kind of curious to hear more about that, Terry. But one thing that's on my mind, what's it like working as father and son? And and folks, if you see their photos, you would say they're not father and son. They're twin brothers. They're twin brothers. (laughs) And Scott, do you know what? That's what I tell everybody all the time. Honestly, Scott, between you and I, it's not easy, I have to say. (laughs) Seriously. (laughs) And we joke about it, but on a purely personal level, it's a pleasure. I'm really looking. I, I joke about it a lot. But I get the pleasure to talk to my son every day of the week and we work together and we are we are very alike in the way that we think and the way that we approach things um i'd say that drew's probably the logical one drew's very logical and will always look at things from a logical viewpoint whereas at times my emotions can get in the way and i'll say that it can, can get in the way but drew's very logical and it's it's a real pleasure to be working with my son and working with drew that's great so tell us more about this when you said it's easier to get people to respond when they know who you are. Tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, I told, Drew, back to you on that, because you experienced it in, as, you know, when you were doing the telemarketing, how, how you found it, uh, Drew. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's sort of common sense when you think about it. We're not saying the cold calling doesn't work. It, it definitely does. But I think what, what's happened over the years, most audiences, most prospects have, you know, almost become immune to it and, you know, they're expecting it. They get dozens of, of cold calls a day. So their guard's up all the time. But, you know, with sort of the you know, digital technology that we've got, if you can break that guard down before you make the call, it makes it a lot easier. So I always ask the question, you know, given given a choice, you've got two lists of prospects. One list, you know, list A, they have no, they're in your market, but they have no idea who you are, have never heard of you, don't know what you do. And you've got list B, who know who you are, know what service you offer, you know, know a bit about you, your background, have seen some of your content. And, you know, who would you rather spend your time calling, right? And the obvious answer is list B. That's not to, you know, disregard list A. It's just let's work on list A for a few days, a few weeks, a few months, whatever, build the relationship without picking up the phone. So when we do pick up the phone, we're more likely to get the result that we want. Right. That makes sense. So how do you get to that point? What do you do to get to that point? For, for most business owners, they've probably got three or four ways of getting business. You know, they've got cold calling, uh, telephone, they've got network, networking, they've got word of mouth mm-hmm. as, as another one, and maybe referrals. And that's what most businesses do when it comes to getting business. They will use one of those four methods. And as Drew rightly said, there's nothing wrong with those methods, in particular cold calling, but there are, there are in fact, over 100 different ways that you can get in front of a of a potential client and get their attention. Mm-hmm. And some of it's what we call organic, where you don't have to do paid advertising. And some of it is actual paid advertising. So you could advertise, let's say, on, on Facebook or LinkedIn or Instagram or wherever to get in front of your target audience. And I think the other thing to add, to add as well is if you think you can you know, place an ad or do some marketing and, and say to the potential client, give me your card details and we, let, let's do business, that's unlikely. 
but actually offering a solution to a potential client and position yourself as an authority, you'll, you'll get a much better response. So let's say it was a law firm, I'm being very crude on this, but if you were to create, let's say, I don't know, an ebook, seven essential questions, you must ask a law firm right. before you engage them. Right. Get this free book. Now, if you were to offer that, we call it a client magnet to your right. target audience, the people who who had a need let's let's say you're you're a corporate lawyer so you, you're sending this out to organizations seven questions seven essential questions to ask a corporate lawyer before you engage them right right what we know is the majority of people will ignore that message and that's fine but most most marketing is ignored anyway but what we also know is that the percentage that respond to that message at the very least they must be thinking about engaging somebody in that market be it a law firm or a search firm Mm-hmm. because they wouldn't request the, the, the report in the first place. Let they me were, ask you this, Terry, if I, yeah. if I could. You mentioned a client magnet. Is that is that actually a term that you use when you're doing your consulting work, a client magnet? Yeah, something that will get the attention of your potential client. And what are some other examples of this that you've seen? Drew, give some other examples of, uh, of client magnets that we could, you could use. I think, you know, just to go back a step, I think like your sort of job as... You know, if you're if you're involved in business development, if you want to be a rainmaker, your job is to you know you've got your audience. You've got to separate the ones who are you know we call it now buyers or future buyers. Who's you know if you've got a, a thousand prospects, there's only a small percentage of them who are in the market to buy right now. Right, right. So what what can you do to sort of get the ones who are in the market to buy right now to raise their hand and express an interest in in what you do? So that's where the client magnet will come in. It can take any form. You know, doesn't you know? Terry mentioned an ebook could be a video, could be a podcast, could be whatever. But it's something that you can offer, you know, with the view of building a relationship. But you know, you also know that anyone that's interested in that thing is also interested in the service that you provide. Right. That's interesting. So let me kind of pause right here. And you said something that I thought was interesting. You're segmenting your clients based on when you think they'll use your services into a now buyer or a future buyer. As we're developing a strategy and implementing the ideas that you talk about, should we put a preference on one of those? Like just because some the money is closer to us, does that mean that's the best decision to focus on? What What do you think about that? Well, your now buyers is the smallest section of your market, so it's going to be like between sort of five and ten percent of the entire market. And now buyers are going to engage in what you're offering anytime soon. So it kind of makes sense to be targeting those, but. It depends as well how long it takes for a deal to get over the line. So if you're in a sector where it may take nine months to get the deal over the line, somebody that's thinking about it today but knows it's not going to probably close until nine months, you could argue that they they are a now buyer, so to speak. Right. right. But it's also worth cultivating the relationship with those who aren't now buyers right now, but you know sometime in the future they will be. So you can say something there, Drew. Yeah, 100%. I was going to just, again, reinforce what you said. I think you focus on both. For me, it comes down to where the majority of your time and attention goes to in terms of your manual work, right? So, I mean, with technology, with your team, with whatever, we can we can sort of either automate or outsource a lot of the, you know, the relationship building stuff with the future buyers, you know, the more long-term business development. But the ones who are going to buy this month, next month, that's who you want to be speaking to today, Right. So I think that's where your focus goes in terms of your manual labor, if that makes sense. And so let me kind of recap some of the things you talked about. The client magnets, those are items that are bright, shiny objects that people that have problems see that item as a solution. And Drew, you're talking about books, videos, podcasts. What are some other examples of these client magnets? Like a white paper, I guess? 
yeah, yeah. the thing is, it, it doesn't need to be an item. It can be a question. Interesting. It can be a question. So, yeah. like, yeah. you know, depending on what, what market you're in, but, you know, if you're trying to think, I, I, I use recruitment to recruitment. So, Scott, you've got a recruitment business, mm-hmm. right? If, if I just ask you the question, whether this is face-to-face, social media, whatever, hey, Scott, if I could introduce you to a rec- recruitment consultant with a track record of adding, you know, a million dollars to, to, to your bottom line, would you be interested in having a conversation about it? Sure. So that, you know, I haven't, I haven't created an ebook or anything. I've just asked the question. Right. Now, you know, now I've got permission to continue the conversation. So it doesn't have to be an item. It's just how can we get them to raise their hand and express an interest in, in what you do? So let me kind of go down this path if we could for a little bit. So I could actually, let's say I'm in professional services and there might be a trend based on the crisis, based on other variables, right? I might change this question every six months. I might take that question and I might have it as a podcast that I would take to trade associations that serve my niche. I might reach out to the, let's say I'm in a marketing business or let's say I'm a lawyer that does antitrust. I might reach out to companies that are doing mergers and pose this question as a topic that I could use as a seminar, as a webinar, as a podcast, as an article. I mean, am I getting kind of warm? Is that what you're talking about? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Literally, literally, it's just, it's, it's, we just want to, you know, gauge who's interested. So, you know, it could be this podcast. It could be, you know, I could, you know, after we've done the recording, I could send an email out to, to my audience or post on LinkedIn Hey, recorded a, a podcast last week where we spoke, where we talked talk about X, Y, Z. Would you be interested in the recording, right? If that X, Y, Z is, is, you know, what I sell, anyone that's interested in that, I want to be having a conversation with. And so, so let me kind of take what you said, Drew, and kind of go down this vein of gold because I'm smelling opportunity here. And, 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 and I think that, that let's just say, because in some people that are listening to the show, if I'm a recruiter and I sell to construction companies, I'm going to pick up the phone and I can cold call if I want to. For professional services like law firms, they just don't do that. But I want to put myself in the path of those people who have a problem that I could solve. And how I do that is by going to those people that are at the watering hole, trade associations or the watering hole of business, of industry, of commerce, and reach yeah. out to them. And I could take what you said you know, and, and then let's say I did that. Let's say I'm an antitrust partner and I do a webinar on how to avoid conflicts and mergers or something like that. I might then look at my warm list. Who are all the people that I know that are either prospective buyers or can introduce me to buyers? And I don't want to call them and say, hey, you want to buy a chicken? You want to buy a chicken? I want to say, I produced a podcast for your very own trade association. And there are some salient points here I thought might be interesting to you. Take a listen. Here's the link. And then let it go. And then I've dangled that little bright, shiny object in front of them, and the rest is history. So, I mean, those are great ideas, Drew. And Terry, you mentioned that the smallest segment of our buyers are in the now buyers, but it seems like that's where everybody is focusing. They want the business today. Do you think that's a good strategy or a challenge, or what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, and the challenge that we all have, whatever niche you operate in, is is really identifying those now buyers because you want the the buyers that are going to pull the trigger on the on, on you know purchasing right. anytime soon. But we also acknowledge that the so if you let's stay with ex- executive search, so mm-hmm, sure. uh, a law firm may not need an executive search firm today, mm-hmm. but they may need one say twelve months from now. But if you're marketing in such a way, because look, let's make a note of something. There are four key reasons why nobody, will, why somebody won't engage you. The first one is 
uh, they don't know you. So if you're an attorney, a law firm or whatever, if, if your potential client doesn't know you, you stand no chance. So they've got to know you. They've got to like you. They've got to trust you. And they've got to have a need. So your marketing must ensure that those boxes are ticked. So the future buyer that's, going to, that's got no need for a search firm right now, it's still worth communicating with them so they get to know you. And with regular communication, such as podcasts, or you could do a webinar, or you could do an ebook, or you could have a group on Facebook where you give content and position yourself with authority on a regular basis. They're getting to know you, like you, and trust you. If you think about our relationship, Scott, we've, this is the first time that we've ever spoken. But right. we've known each other for, I'm going to say, 12, 15 years. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. So we reached out to each other because those other boxes ticked. You know, you like and trust. And you think, hey, actually, it might be worth having the conversations, guys, about, about doing the podcast. But that's because of the marketing. So that hiring manager in that the law firm that's not looking right now, if you can communicate to them now, when they are in the market, they can think, actually, there is that guy, Scott. I've seen his stuff. I've seen his webinars. I've seen his ebook. Or if it's a, if it's a company looking for a, a, an attorney, oh, there's that, that, that law firm. I've seen some of their material. Right. Clearly, they are experts. Clearly, they are an authority in this particular market. At the very least, it would be worth communicating to this guy to see what they think about what I'm thinking about doing. That's fantastic, Terry. I like the way you brought that together in a real easy to understand in a logical format. What do you think, are there any pitfalls or any reasons why people don't think this way or don't go forward in their marketing efforts or, or really having a plan, a business plan or a structure built around these items that you talk about? I, th I think we're all guilty of this at some level is that we are good at what we do. So you're a, you're a great search guy or you might get a great attorney. So they're good at what they do. But ultimately, if you're, a, if you're a solicitor or attorney or whatever, your market don't want what you do. They want the results that you get. But we get bogged down. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, I've been doing this for 20 years. I'm the best there is in, in, in the States or, or, or whatever. The potential buyer doesn't want that. They want the results. And it's a great example, a, friend, a mutual friend that Drew and I have. He's a, he's a fitness trader. And most fitness trainers in the UK, I'll give it in, in dollars and pounds, they will charge between sort of 60 and 120, maybe $150 an hour. Right. The guy that we know, Phil, he charges 7,000 pounds, 7,000, uh, sorry, $9,000 a quarter. Hmm. But his approach is different because most fitness trainers go, okay, I'm a fitness trainer. And every day we're going to, we're going to go running. You're going to eat broccoli and, and have chicken and salad and so on. But what he says is he, he targets um, stockbrokers. He asks them what they want. And he says, I, I guess you want to be fit. And then he targets men. And they say, yeah, I, I want to have a six pack. And he says, why? He says, well, I've got three kids and I won't be able to play with the kids on the beach. And honestly, I, I want my wife to look at me in that way and suggest <laughs> that we have early nights. Right, right. Now, <laughs> yeah. Now, here's what he's selling. What Phil what, what's his number? What's his number? <laughs> <laughs> so his argument is you can either have chicken and broccoli and go running every day or you can have a six-pack and have more sex. And everybody's going to go, I have the six-pack and more sex. <laughs> See, your, your clients, Scott, don't want you for what you do. They want the results you're going to get. So if, you, if you're involved in a merger or acquiring a, a top attorney that's going to add millions to another law firm, that's what they want. They don't actually care about the process that you do. But we get caught up in that and say, yeah, but this is the process that we do. And we do this mapping and we talk. The client doesn't care. Yeah. 
So it's, you've got to communicate the benefit they're going to get from engaging with you, not the process that they're going to go through. How do you think people can teach their minds to think this way? If somebody's never considered this before, do you think they should do surveys to pass clients? Do you think they should just call their best clients and say, why did you work with me? What results? What do you think they should? You know, it's just thinking differently. And the saying in copywriting, when you write something, you go, so what? I've been an attorney for 20 years. So what? Right. And you should talk about the what. So what that means to you is you can trust me. I've experienced all the things that you're going through right now. I'll give one moment and pass over to Drew. But let's say you're selling medication for migraine. Here we are. And this, this drug firm say we've been established for 20 years and here's our office building and here's our mission statement. Nobody cares. If you've got a migraine, if the copy set or you communicate like this, are you a migraine sufferer? Have you been laid up for days now with a migraine? And it sounds like you've got workmen in your head pounding away and there's, there seems to be no end to it. Now, if you're a migraine sufferer, you're going, hell yeah, that's me. We've got a solution for you. When you take this tablet and they then talk about all those, well, take away the pain, the tablet just melts in your mouth. Within, within an hour, you'll be playing with the kids again because that's what you want. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. And, and one thing I've noticed too, that when we're selling and we're on a conference call with a client and we're asking investigative questions, we're probing, I found that we should even talk about the emotional context of our solution because we're not selling to companies, we're selling to individuals, we're selling to people and everybody has their own personal agenda, their own personal motive. 100%. That's right. 100%. I think, I think that's where a lot of salespeople go wrong is they get so obsessed with their product, their service, and they spend the whole sales meeting, whole sales conversation talking about that and not really focusing on who it is they're selling to. What difference is it going to make for them? What outcome is it going to have for them, their business, their personal life, their marriage, all that sort of, you know, the deeper stuff, the deeper, I guess, benefits of what you do. That's where you, one, gets someone to buy into you and, and your service, but two, you know, it makes your fee irrelevant. You know, going back to Terry's chicken and broccoli analogy, it's like, you, you know, people will pay a lot more for, you know, more sex than they will for chicken and broccoli in terms of, <laughs> right. you know what I mean? It's sort of like you get clear on the outcome the meaning to the buyer, you're, you know, you can charge higher fees and win more clients at the same time. You know, what's interesting, I was actually reading a book by a friend of mine, Henry DeVries. We've had him on the show a few times. It's called Client Attraction, Chain Reaction. And he talked about people are more interested in uh, keeping from feeling pain than pursuing pleasure, where they'll work harder to avoid the downside than to pursue the upside. What do you, what do you think about that? It's absolutely true. Two things there, Scott. First of all, all buying decisions are based on emotion and then justified with logic. All buying decisions. Numerous studies have been done. And very quick, if you go to a jeweler's, if you go to a, look at a magazine and look at watches, if you look at the face of the watch, it's at either 10 to 2, uh, but it's a smiley face, quarter to 3, because they found if the, if the time on the watch was showing a frown, sales declined. Oh, really? All Interesting. Wow. Yeah, and don't take my word for it. Go and go and check for yourself, and go online and have a look now. All buying decisions. If you think about adverts, what they're doing, they're deliberately tapping into your emotion. And yeah, that could be me in that flashy car and whatever. And you're absolutely right. We're motivated by two things: to avoid pain and gain pleasure. Everything that we do, that's the motivation. Right. However, psychologists found if you want somebody to make a decision, you've got to talk about avoiding the pain rather than the pleasure. So I'm going to be 
It's really simple. Seven questions to ask an attorney before you engage them. Now, asking these questions could cost you millions. It's one name of one ebook. Or you could say seven questions to ensure uh, that you get the best attorney. Yeah. The one that's going to say talk about costing you millions will outperform most of the time because it's avoiding the pain. Interesting. So in my next sales book, I could either title it How to Make a Fortune in Sales or How to Keep from Losing Out on Sales Opportunities. And that second one is probably going to sell more, right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. interesting. That's, I'll have to rethink my next title. <laughs> so, And the logic says to go for the pleasure. And we want to people go, oh, that's a very negative title. We say, yeah, it is. But all the evidence shows it will outperform anything else where you're, where you're, you know, avoid pain or gaining pleasure, avoiding pain tends to outperform. That's great. Well, well, let me ask you this, Terry and Drew, what are three action steps people can take to get started in integrating and implementing some of these ideas that you shared with us today? Drew, you want to go first? Three action steps. I think, um, yeah, for anyone in sales, three things. So first thing I'd say is um, you need to find a way or ways to daily you know, expand your network daily. A lot of salespeople make the mistake of having, you know, their network of, of prospects, you know, the list of prospects and they, you know, they work that list, but they don't spend any time growing it. So what can you do to continuously add to that, expand your reach with, you know, all your messages? Two, I'd say, you know, what can you do to build authority with your prospects before you call them, before you try and sell to them? So that's going to come under content. You know, what content can you put out into the marketplace that is going to do a lot of the heavy lifting for you in terms of selling, right? Like you know, if you if you, if you could sort of put a video or an article or something in front of your prospects before you call them, it's going to you know view you in a certain way when you pick up the phone or when you have a meeting with them, wherever it's going to be. You know, what content can you put out that does that? And then three, you know, I guess goes full circle to what we're saying in the in the beginning. How can you get the the buyers or the prospects in your in your network, the ones with intent to raise their hand and express an interest in what you do? Right. Well, I think this is great content, Drew and Terry. Tell us about some of the offerings, some of the opportunities you have that people listening can take advantage of and learn more about. And we'll put all of your links on our on the show notes. So anybody that's listening here, if you want to reach out to Terry and Drew, just go to the show notes on where you heard this podcast. But what are some of the items that you have that are available for your uh, for the listeners? We target predominantly uh, recruitment and staffing firms, but the, what we're sharing with you is applicable to any market, be it law, be it accountancy, uh, chiropodist, any market whatsoever, the same rules and law apply. But as I said, we target recruitment and, and, and search firms, and we have a website which is called makemoreplacements.com. So if you want, and we've got free training videos on there and, and, and load, load of free stuff. So if you want some free stuff, and you're in the recruitment of staffing niche or niche, niche, I think you guys pronounce it, <laughs> go there. If you're, again, in, in the staffing business, we have a, a group on Facebook. This will come as a bit of a surprise to you, but this group is called the Make More Placements Community for Recruitment and Search Firm Owners. The Make More Placements Community for Recruitment Search and Search Firm Owners. Got a group there. If you're an owner or director of a recruitment or staffing firm, come and join us there. Again, we give away free training. Every every Wednesday, we give away free training. That's great. We'll definitely put the links to that on the show notes. Drew and Terry, thanks for joining me today. We'll have you back on the show in the future. Thank you so much for sharing your insights with us today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. You bet. Thank you for listening to The Rainmaking Podcast. 
For more information about our recruiting services for international law firms, visit our website at attorneysearchgroup.com. To inquire about having Scott speak at your next convention, conference, sales meeting, or executive retreat, visit therainmakingpodcast.com.